Welcome to Poptopia. Welcome to Poptopia, a podcast for all things pop culture. I'm your host, Paul French, and it is Wednesday, November 1st, 2007. On today's show, Spider-Man 4 gets a new writer. Eliza Duckshu and Joss Whedon return to TV. We talk about the writer's strike, and it turns out the Seinfeld's wife isn't the only idiot that thinks that spinach and brownies is a good idea. Spinach and brownies. It's crazy. I don't know. Um, anyway. All right, let's start off with that, actually. Um, Jerry Seinfeld has said that his wife is not guilty of vegetable plagiarism. Uh, he was on Letterman the other night talking about his wife, Jessica Seinfeld's book, Deceptively Delicious, Simple Secrets to Get Your Kids Eating Good Food, which was published by HarperCollins uh, this month. And basically what it talks about is hiding nutritious foods into traditional recipes so that kids will eat them. Um, as an example... You know, they, you get uh, uh, brownies, and you put a little spinach in there so that the kids get spinach, that, that kind of thing. I still think it's crazy. Uh, anyway, um, so Seinfeld was on Letterman defending uh, charges uh, from, uh, what's her name, Missy Chase Lapine, who wrote a book called The Sneaky Chef, Simple Strategies for Hiding Healthy Foods and Kids' Favorite Meals, uh, which came out in April, published by The Running Press. Uh, Jerry says that the books came out around the same time, so this woman says, I sense this could be my wacko moment. So she comes out and, inclu- and she accuses my wife. She says, you stole my mushed up carrots. You can't put mushed up carrots in a casserole. I put mushed up ca- carrots in a casserole. It's vegetable plagiarism. Um, and he's saying that he loves the term plagiarism for this little event because it used to be that you had to really take a theme from a major novel, some sort of literary narrative. Now you're in your kitchen making brownies. You sneak a little spinach in there and your name's dragged through the mud. Uh, Jessica Seinfeld says she has never seen or read The Sneaky Chef. Uh, Missy Lapine says that she isn't accusing anyone of anything, but adds that it does hurt to see someone else given credit for her method. So, take what you will from there. Uh, big news breaking last night. Eliza Duckshu and Joss Whedon coming back to TV. The show is going to be called Dollhouse. And uh, starring Eliza Duckshu, who of course we remember as uh, as Faith in, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And Joss Whedon coming back to TV. It's about time. Uh, so here's here's what it's going to be. A one-hour drama produced by uh, 20th Century Fox is going to be airing on Fox, and uh, Fox is already committed to seven episodes, and it could premiere as early as this spring. The title is going to be Dollhouse, and uh, it's basically a high-tech lab uh, that they live in, uh, or that they, they are centered in, uh, which contains a group of human chalkboards, and that's why they're kept between assignments. So what are human chalkboards? Well, uh, Eliza Dushku plays a character called Echo, who can basically be given new memories, skills, personalities, and all that kind of stuff, but have them stripped away just as quickly. It sounds like kind of a neat concept. Anyway, uh, Whedon is going to be the creator, head writer, and executive producer. And um, Eliza Dushku is a uh, Dushku. See, I keep saying Dushku. That's because Kevin Smith used to call her Duckshoot when she was in uh, uh, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Anyway, she's going to be given a producer credit, mainly because she was the one who convinced him to do the show. And, oh, uh-oh, Tim Minear is also on board for the show. You know what that means. Poor Tim Minear. I, I feel I have to say that every time I mention his name. Poor Tim Minear. So, uh, how did this all happen? Well, basically, what it came down to is uh, Dushku signed a development deal with Fox in August, and she called the one man that she knew wanted to do she wanted to do a series with. And they went out for lunch, and it was uh, it was all taken care of. Um, Whedon says that Eliza was wearing a hat with a big spiraling wheel on it, and she kept saying, look into the wheel. You want to make television. You want it to be about me. 
sounds hokey, but it really worked. So anyway, this this is pretty exciting. Uh, uh, Whedon says the Dollhouse is a suspense drama about a girl who can have any personality except her own. So part alias, part quantum leap, and she's literally changing who she is, and she gets into people's lives a little bit. Um, Dushku's loving it. She says, I relate so much to this character. Echo is essentially the story of my life. I've lived a crazy life for the past 16 years, traveling around the world, and then tripping and falling into this business. Everyone wants you to transform and be a different person every week. A lot of people worried about the fact that this is on Fox, but, you know, let's keep an open mind. Uh, you know, they need a hit, so... Maybe this could be the one. Uh, maybe this could be the one that does it. So, so that would be great. And besides the fact, everyone's really desperate for stuff because of the impending, the impending writer strike. And of course, the uh, the TV season is is really sort of troubled already. Uh, let's let's look at a few examples here. You know, even even aside from the threat of the uh, writer strike, which basically they're gonna decide on today, uh, sometime this evening. Let's look at it. Viva Lachlan, which was uh, a musical whodunit from CBS, yanked after only two airings. I didn't even catch the second airing. Um, Pushing Daisies, which started out getting a great welcome from critics and viewers, received a full season order from the network. Not doing quite as well afterwards. It's really, uh, there's got to be some proof that the formula can be sustained week after week. Just like I said the other week, you know, it's one of those things where you've got something that makes a great movie, uh, can it translate into a series? Uh, Gossip Girl uh, over on the CW, um, doing well, of course, uh, the first uh, series to get a full season pickup, but, if, you know, it's still a small audience. You're about talking about 2.5 million uh, viewers, and let's face it, it's, you know, it's the CW, it's, meant, it's a smaller demographic that they're looking at, and they're really looking at that sort of young, lots of disposable income crowd, um, you know, really much like the show's characters, right? Um Bionic Woman uh, started out really well. It, within five weeks, it went from 13.9 million viewers to 7.8 million viewers. So naturally, they're concerned. And there's been a lot of shakeups in the writer's room. They brought all the guys over from Friday Night Lights. Uh, since then, uh, they've added another new exec producer and writer, um, one of the guys from uh, The Sopranos. And uh, yeah, so they're they're struggling as well. Um, ABC's Samantha Who. Uh, Cracked the Nielsen top 10 and nearly equaled its viewership in week two with 13.7 million viewers. But one of the things to remember is it follows Dancing with the Stars, and that stops in about a month, and it's kind of a, a huge ratings juggernaut. Will it do as well without that kind of lead-in? So, you know, last fall we had Heroes. That was kind of the big uh, breakout hit. And we just don't have that this year. Everything seems to be, uh, you know, doing okay but not great. Uh, things like Journeyman, Reaper, uh, Moonlight, and uh, Bionic Woman, you know, they're doing okay by most standards but really not doing the kind of numbers that, they, that, they're, that they're expecting. And what that really translates to is that they're, that they're paying for. And so... Um, Really, you know, they're, they're doing all kinds of different things. Uh, I noticed, you know, life has the thing where it's like, you know, check on our website for clues to the conspiracy, all that kind of stuff. They're trying to do all kinds of cross-platform programming. And, uh, you know, basically, the networks aren't caring how you watch the shows, just that you do. And uh, and it's really being, uh, it's really a struggle for them. And as has mentioned, the writer's strike, it's all about the writer's strike. Writer's strike, writer's strike, writer's strike. Uh, you know, really, when it comes down to it, a lot of the writers really are saying, hey, there's all kinds of different places that people are consuming television, whether it be through On Demand or whether it be through uh, DVD. You know, a lot of people just wait till the end of the season and pick it up then. All these different things buying it online, 
and it comes down to yeah but do we get paid for that and and the answer right now is is they don't and uh, because the deals a lot of the deals were no- negotiated and the current contract was negotiated before that was a, a going concern so so what's going to happen well last night talks broke down and that's uh, that's a big deal you know talks broke down in the labor dispute and you know, and this goes back from a couple of weeks ago where they were saying they've never been further from a deal. They have never had such a wide gulf between what the writers want and what the uh, what what basically the producers are willing to give. Well, here's something to think about with that. Uh, you know, it's November 1st, which is generally considered the beginning of sweeps. And this used to be sort of the whole thing. This is when local stations set ad rates. This is basically when they say, look at how we did in this period and, uh, you know, cough up. You know, and that's where, that's where they can go to the advertisers and say, this is, this is where we set things. But the thing is, last year they introduced these things called people meters. And that pretty much rendered the whole concept of sweeps obsolete because now they're able to sort of tell what's going on right away. And, and that's, you know, it, it's again, it's, it's a very different thing than what they, uh, what they used to have to deal with because, you know, it used to be all about what goes on in that couple of weeks and that basically sets it for the rest of the time. And what, what the people meter is, is it's basically a system that Nielsen Media Research uses in the USA to allow a passive measurement of viewing habits for TV and cable audiences. Um, it essentially was invented by a British company and what it does is it allows, um, a, a, it's called a, a an audio video encoder essentially that imprints special signaling into the video and audio signals of that of that entity now at home i've got a device that basically allows me to log in and log out of a tv set if i'm in Nielsen family which allows them to develop ratings data for that market what it is is it's a box about the size of a paperback book and it's hooked up to each television set and accompanied by a remote control unit each family member is assigned a personal viewing button which is matched to that person's age and sex Whenever the TV is turned on, a light flashes on the meter, revi- reminding viewers to press their assigned button and to indicate that they're watching television. There's additional buttons that enable guests who are also watching to participate by entering their age, sex, and viewing status into the system. And so this goes in addition to the um, the standard measurement uh, 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 models, but it's more detailed. And, and more detailed means there's more information. It's exactly what I've been talking about for a couple of years on the show now is that the model is changing and the way that things have been done isn't the way things are being done. And it all came down to like before it was advertising, you know, most uh, when TiVo was going to be giving the data about how many people zap through commercials, which is going to have a huge impact on that particular business model. And this is something that has an impact on that business model, but also I think it, it gives them a little bit more detail. One other thing that it means is that the uh, the focus grouping of, uh, of of American television content uh, it, it's it's going to amp up. Just just watch and see. And uh, so so what it comes down to is, it, hey, if uh, if the writers walk off the job, there's there's going to be trouble. And a lot of shows have been doing sort of having big writing days or writing weeks where it's where basically they lock everything down. And it's like let's get as many scripts in the can now as we can. And so they've been rushing to finish up their scripts. And so yeah, no such thing as writer's block in Hollywood uh, over the past week. So basically the contract expired last night, midnight Wednesday. And so a lot of uh, writers basically putting finishing touches on projects, getting them sent over to the studios because, hey, they want to get paid for this stuff, right? And they want to get paid for it before the strike happens, um, you know, because... <laughs> 
everyone's remembering sort of back in 1986 uh, that there was some there were some issues there. Um, over at Sony Pictures, Paul Haggis dev- delivered the draft for the 22nd James Bond installment. Oh, that's what's... Uh, anyway, I'm not even going to get into that. Um, for a lot of other projects, scripts coming in, getting a quick read, some quick notes, and being rushed back to get another draft to get the most adra- advanced draft possible in order to beat that deadline. Uh, one studio executive said, I'm getting drafts in and I'm flipping them around like crazy. A couple of things, uh, X-Men Origins uh, Wolverine, uh, coming out from 20th Century Fox starring Hugh Jackman, uh, is being written by James Vanderbilt, who uh, scripted Zodiac, and who has also been touted as the new screenwriter for Spider-Man 4. I think it's great that they're going to go with an actual screenwriter for this one, because, well, you know what I thought of Spider-Man 3. Um also, the Fast and the Furious 4, because you needed a, a, a Fast and the Furious 4. What I'm really looking forward to, though, is the next one, Fast and the Furious 5. That's right, Grandmaster Grandmaster Flash coming back to movies. It's going to happen. Uh, written by Chris Morgan, um, and uh, so these are sort of among the scripts that are being flipped back and around to get it, uh, to get it basically one goal, get a script that is filmable. Normally, you'd give notes and they'd go off and they'd write, take their time, do some things in the notes and not others, another studio executive said. But everyone is playing for the same team now. That way we have our best shot at making a movie. Um, Brian Helgeland uh, put in a retelling of the Robin Hood story, uh, which has Russell Crowe attached to it, and the title is Nottingham. And uh, it was sent through to Ridley Scott's, for Ridley Scott's approval last, last Monday. Um, Helglund's a busy man because he's also uh, needing to deliver the taking of Pelham 1, 2, and 3, which is going to star uh, Denzel Washington and John Travolta. And that's actually being done for Ridley Scott's brother, Tony Scott. And isn't that nice? You know, it's a family thing. They're using the same screenwriter. I think it's a beautiful thing. Anyway, all we know is that the uh, the writer's strike, it's going to be a big deal. Uh, it's gonna, This is going to really... I guess a lot of stuff that's going on in Hollywood is really going to turn on what happens with this strike. And uh, as soon as news breaks, I'm going to put together a uh, an episode for that. Um, so hopefully some news breaks today so I can do that episode tomorrow. It would be really helpful. Come on, guys. Come through for me. Um, and uh, re- But really, this is going to change a lot of things. This is going to change sort of how the business model works. Because, hey, if they're spending that much more money on residuals, wh- what, what gets taken out? Because we know that the one thing that's not going to get taken out of the equation is the studio's profit. They're going to hold on to that, and they're going to hold on to that as as much as they can. So if the writers are getting more money, who's getting less? Is it going to be the performers? Is it going to be the directors? I don't know. It, it all seems like it's going to be very interesting. It's going to be very interesting to sort of see where this all takes us um, as the season continues, if it continues. That's all the time we got for today. Comments, as always, are welcome at poptopiapodcast at gmail.com. Head on over to thecomicforums.com and uh, scroll down to uh, the middle of the page for the Poptopia Forum and let us know what you think. Have a great week.